Hi, welcome to the Penis Project podcast. This is the place to come to find out everything you've always wanted to know about men's health but were too embarrassed to ask. Join physiotherapist Dr. Joe Milios and sexologist nurse practitioner Melissa Hadley-Barrett as they talk to real men and the experts about men's private parts. Have a burning question you really want to know the answer to? Please subscribe to our website at thepenisproject.org and just ask us. The greater the length while the greater the strength, the more time I've got for you. There's too much talking, texting, tweeting, posting. Too much noise altogether. In silence is strength and peace and space. Imagine silence forever. The Penis Project podcast is proudly supported and sponsored by PROST, Exercise for Prostate Cancer, and the RS Health Penile Rehabilitation Program. PROST is a not-for-profit charity set up by myself in 2012 that aims to help men exercise during their experience with prostate cancer. If you want to know anything more about PROST, including our online service and USB product now available, please just go to prost.com.au. Hi, I'm Melissa Hadley-Barrett and I designed the Penile Rehabilitation Program to help men recover from prostate cancer. It's an online program built on decades worth of knowledge and experience and practice. It's the only one of its kind in the world and it actually works. So if you've been diagnosed with prostate cancer and want to get your penis working again as quickly as possible, and why wouldn't you, then visit penilerehabilitationprogram.com and you'll be off and running. And it only takes about 15 minutes a day. All the best with your recovery, which I promise will never be as bad as you think. November 11, 11am, 60 seconds, kids watch on the wall. In the pub, in the tab, in the cars. Hi, and welcome to the Penis Project podcast. This is Dr. Joe, and I'm absolutely thrilled to have two guests today, not one. Today is the 2nd of November, the 2nd of November as well. So we have... uh, a couple here, one from America and one from Perth. Now, the interesting thing is, is that we've had maybe six to eight weeks of preparation time for up-and-coming surgery for our male guest. But in the background, he's had his beautiful partner kind of separated by COVID in America. And now she's arrived here one week before the surgery of Anthony. So welcome, Anthony. Thanks for having me. And welcome, Carla. Thanks for having me. No worries. So Carla, where have you actually come from all this way to support Anthony? From Las Vegas. Las Vegas. And Anthony, are you a Perth boy or? Uh, I am now. For the last 25 years, I grew up in Sydney and yeah, but I've called Perth home for 25 years. So I've just about got my passport now. So <laughs> Good. Now, we've had a little practice run to make sure our, our technical work was all good. In the meantime, uh, Carla and Anthony went off to have a meeting with Kendall, restorative sexual health um, nurse practitioner who specialises in sexual health. So we're actually going to have a really uh, comprehensive conversation today about preparing for prostate cancer surgery. So I asked Carla and Anthony if they would be open to sharing their name and their real their real story, which they are. So that's extremely generous in the first place. So thank you. The Penis Project podcast and all things P in men's health is called that because it just so happens that many things, even with the male anatomy, start with P. We have penises and prostates. 
when it comes to prostate cancer and prostate enlargement, we need often surgeries. And then we have things like penile deformities and we have PTSD and we have performance anxiety. We have PSA checks. We have many things starting with P. So we're going to be talking today a lot about another P word, preparation. And the preparation is going to also include the partnership and some things that in preparing for prostate cancer surgery that Carla and Anthony have actually potentially already encountered. Anthony, when is your surgery? It's uh, in six days. So, I, yeah, it's Wednesday, yeah. So November the 8th. November the 8th. And we actually met, do you remember how long ago we met? About two months ago. Yeah. And one of the things that we talked about um, was preparation. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk about how we actually did that. But it was towards the mid middle of August that we met. And I said to you, apart from pelvic floor training, another P word, there is actually the month of September, which is the International Month of Prostate Cancer Awareness. And the Australian Prostate Cancer Foundation does something called the Long Walk. And Anthony, can you tell us about what you did for the long walk or how, how what you decided to do? Well, so the motivation was essentially, I, I think you in the middle of the night, it was when the Queen had died and suddenly you had this idea of making me King Anthony as me. So uh, before I knew it, um, I was involved in, in the long walk or long run. Long run. Long yeah. run. Yep. Um, and I thought, oh, you know what? Sometimes you just need that little push to do something. And that was a little push I needed to do. So part of the motivation there was I'm, I, I hate doing fundraising and that sort of stuff. I hate putting people out, making them do things for me. Mm. But there was a bit of what I could do for me in there as well. Yeah. And me being able to tell my story, uh, there was that functionality within the website that, that did that. Yeah. It was also opening a door for me to be able to talk to people about what I was experiencing yep. with the motivation of, hey, actually, if it could happen to me, and I'm a pretty healthy young guy, it can happen to anybody else out there. So um, I'm your cautionary tale, and I've chosen to be positive about all this and yep. actually um this was one positive thing i could do yep. and, it, and even part of that was an exercise element to it as well yeah if you give me a target if you set me a challenge well i will break that bloody challenge and yep. I'll, I'll take it on so there was a i smashed the exercise component of that got the fundraising done as well that was yep. a byproduct of it but for me that was a it was something i could do about a situation i didn't have control over yep beautiful and it was actually interesting because I was actually up in the middle of the night and you have a news or TV background, is that right? Yeah. Yep. So it was on the news and I don't normally actually text my patients in the middle of the night, but a different situation had arisen from your previous work and we were in contact. Mm -hmm. And um, it was quite riveting at the time to see the Queen to pass away. And I did make that joke, but I'd actually forgotten that I said King Anthony. But <laughs> yeah, and then I, I said, would you mind putting a post up on Facebook and then you said you'd already thought about that. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about how that came because that could be somewhat alarming for other men to oh, even it, address. It was, it was yeah. a good driver because I think part of it was I didn't want this to all be about, hey, look, everyone, I've got prostate cancer. I'm not that good at dealing with it. Mm. But I did want to acknowledge something out there because I didn't want whispers and, and side talk and that sort of stuff. I wanted to be open, open about it. So mm. I'd gone through the process at work of gradually, I knew I had to tell people because I was yeah. going to have to be away for a a period of time and I mm. had to mentally deal with that so I had to tell my superiors to some extent then as I started talking to people and and already there was these 
oh, yeah, well, I know someone and, and whatever. Mm. Suddenly there was this little network of, oh, I'm not alone here. Yeah. Then when I mentioned it to people at work, I thought, I, I just want it out there so I don't have to keep ask, answering mm. half-assed questions and, and that sort of stuff. So that was great work. Mm. I knew I was going to a function. Um, it was actually a birthday of a friend of mine who had MND who has since died. Oh, dear. So, this it, wasn't so long ago that he passed away. It was pretty recently, yeah. Oh, was, she passed away in uh, late September, I think. Okay. Yep. So, but, um, or mid-September. But I knew I was going to his birthday function and a mm. bunch of my old journalist colleagues were going to be there. Yeah. And I this came about just before then. Okay. So my Facebook post was to, hey, I'm doing this long run. Yep. This is what it is. Yep. Got any questions, ask me. Beautiful. Yeah. So when I went to that function, it was out there. People knew. Great. And I could talk to people. And even on that day, uh, one of my former colleagues came up and said, hey, that was me a year ago. Uh, I'm all good. Who's your physio? Oh, it's Joe. I had Joe. Who's your surgeon? Dr. Pemberton. I had him too. Great. You're going to be great. I think I know who you're talking about too. Yeah, yeah. So you had that immediate reassurance and support because yeah. you put your hand up and said, hey, this is me. Yeah. And as soon as you've got that bravery, I suppose, to step mm. forward and do it, it's amazing how many people will then come to you that you had no idea about. Mm. And I had the same with work colleagues as well. Wonderful. And they're confining in you. Then I don't expect everyone to be as front um, yeah. foot as I have been. Yeah. But I think that's helped other people sort of connect the dots and sort of go, oh, okay, if he can talk about it, maybe I can. Now, I'm going to just say that is, first of all, pretty brave. I, I get spine tingles like sometimes when I talk to people and I've had them about three times as you've been just doing that. I'm going to switch to you, Carla. Tell us a little bit about your role in Anthony's story in terms of you must have found out he was diagnosed with prostate cancer. Were you in Las Vegas still? Is that right? Or? I was. Yeah, were you already intending to come to Perth or did it prompt you to get here sooner in any way? Um, Probably pushed I, it back I, a little, actually, just to make yeah, sure. Yeah, I think, process. yeah, we pushed it back because his surgery wasn't originally scheduled to the first, but then we moved it to the eighth so we could have a little bit of extra time right. together yeah, yeah. prior to the surgery, and I'll be here through December, mid-December. In recovery. Mm-hmm. Cool. And prior to that, you knew I was having all the tests and, and everything as well because you were with me when I first consulted doctors. And oh, things. good. Right. Yeah. I can't remember if it's the first time we met or the second time first I came one. here. Um, yeah, we went to the doctor okay. together because... Yeah, well, we're in a new relationship mm. and um, not everything was how I wanted to go yeah. um, sexually. Yeah. Um, it was it was pretty good, but it could be better. And yeah. I thought there was a mental handicap or something there, but we just wanted to go and get a bit of help yeah, from a doctor. Great. And bless him, he said, all right, well, we're not just going to dispense pills here. We're going to go and get you tested. Oh, is that how you got tested with your PSA? It saved my life. So, yeah. <laughs> Hang on a minute. How old are you now? I was 53 then. I've just turned 54. Okay. So let me just rewind a little bit. Had you ever had a PSA test before? I think I had. Um, in When I turned 50, I went in suddenly thought I need a regular doctor yeah. and a whole series of tests. I think I might have had a PSA in there, but I don't know. I just said, give me everything you give someone who's over 50. Okay. I, I couldn't be certain. But the, the PSA is recommended as a once a year test. This is November, mm-hmm. Prostate Cancer, Testicular Cancer, Mental Health, Male Mental Health Awareness Month. I'm just trying to work out, joining the dots again, we, you were not recommended to have an annual PSA blood test? I wouldn't have gone there to do it had I not had the motivation to go oh, there. Because of the sexual improvement yep. you wanted to get. 
Well, that's interesting. Okay, so there is a lot of public health campaign going on every year. There's the Men's Health Week mm-hmm. in June internationally, Prostate Cancer Month internationally in September, Movember every November. So I've been working men's health since 2005 and I've been fully aware of that. And, of course, I'm tuned in because it's my work, but were you tuned into these campaigns? No. I, well, I had done fundraising for November years ago because it was something fun to do at work. Yeah. We all grew a moustache and it was funny and yeah. whatever. I did know someone, a parent of one of my um, girl's friends, he'd gone through it through their school. I arranged to do a TV story out there for November for, for him, essentially. So. Yeah. That was my involvement. I knew that it happened, um, mm. but I wasn't attuned to, I have to go over here and get a test because I just thought, I'm cool. Okay. Yeah. So women get mammograms every year. If there's a family, sorry, every second year, I think. Um, if there's a family history, it's every year. Mm-hmm. If you've got a family history of prostate cancer, it should be mandatory annual test from 40. For every other man, it should be from 50. Yeah. And therein lies the rub. Yes. Well, I didn't know because I had family history. And you did have family about. history? Yeah, yeah. I okay, did, tell us about didn't that. didn't know till I was diagnosed. I had, yeah. I had a rough idea that my uncle had. So when I was asked originally, was it was a history of it? Mm, maybe. I didn't know. I knew Dad had had an enlarged prostate but yeah. didn't have any other issues. And they're that. quite separate things. Enlarged yeah. prostate is normal. It goes up by 1% in size per year. So a 50-year-old man will have a 50-gram prostate on average. A six-year-old man is 60 gram, and so it goes. So prostate cancer enlargement is a normal aging process. Prostate cancer is abnormal cells in the prostate, regardless of the size of the prostate. Yeah. So that's important to people say, I've got prostate, I've got prostate. But could it be enlargement or could it be cancer? They're very different. Very. So you you became aware that your uncle had prostate cancer. And then became aware another uncle had prostate cancer and that two of his sons had had prostate uh, cancer. Your first cousins? In, yes. Oh. And talk about how the first prostate uh, or PSA test came back higher and then... Oh, yeah. So so originally, having gone in with Carla to mm. um, consult with the doctor, did the PSA, so I, I was a seven-something, right, yeah. which was high had clearly been engaged in some activity they hadn't been engaged in for many years. Okay. So I thought maybe that was the elevation. Yeah, because a PSA reason. can rise with sexual activity exactly. or riding a bike So we 48 then, hours before the test. Yep. We abstained for a week. Oh, somehow. that would have been hard in yeah. <laughs> oh, in any relationship. Right? That's why it's hard. And okay. yep. uh, went back and it had come down, but only to about six. So still quite high yes. your age. So just for those listening, maybe. PSA, prostate-specific antigens, should be within a range that's normal for your age. We can only tell for each individual what that change might be if we have a baseline from one year to the next year plotting a graft. Someone like Anthony at 54 should have a PSA around about two to three, but it was six and seven. Mm. Okay, so you were already elevated. But you thought maybe the sex activity enhanced, but a week of abstaining went down a little bit, but nowhere yeah. near enough that mm-hmm. to even make the doctor not dismiss that. He sent you off to what urologist? Yep. Yep. And um, he said, This is who I'd go to if I, I was yep. having this issue. Yep. Went there, had to have an MRI before. The MRI picked up some irregularities. Yep. Um, so then I had a biopsy. The biopsy picked up a tumour in a place they weren't necessarily expecting based on the MRI. Mm, And remember being in the surgeon's rooms and he's gradually breaking the news to me that it's cancer. 
mm. and I'm not really listening to that. I'm looking at this screen and seeing 2.5 millimeter tumor and thinking, oh, well, I guess they're going to have to cut that out. Yeah, cut the tumor. The <laughs> yeah, that's all I thought. Oh, okay, guess I can do that. Then when he starts pulling his diagram apart and the, the prostate comes out and goes on the disc and the bladder comes down to there, yeah. where does the prostate? It doesn't go back, does it? Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then the reality was, ah, oh, this is kind of major stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then gradually, I don't, I don't know, I guess it's your bedside manner or, or whatever. I guess he was leaving it to me to put the pieces together. Go, yeah. this is was cancer. Carla with you in this appointment? No, no. no, Carla had gone back by this stage. Mm -hmm. But uh, back, I was talking to her very quickly soon after. Yeah. 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 Okay. So then you had the diagnosis after the MRI and the biopsy then was done. How was the biopsy for you? Oh, it was fine. So, um, I mean, you tell people about what it's going to be and it doesn't sound pleasant because you mm. basically needle through the perineum. So Were you asleep or yeah, awake? Yes, I'm out to it. So yeah. They used to do it transrectally mm. up the bum, but now they changed it to perineally So because that way they get better access to the deeper parts of the prostate, not just the superficial one. Yeah, yeah. and apart from a bit of bruising um, and... <laughs> Clearly afterwards, uh, you see the evidence when you are um, peeing or ejaculating. There's Even blood when you pee, there. there's blood? Yep. Okay. Yep. Not not a lot. Mm. Certainly ejaculating was a, uh, an experience. Yeah, and Melissa yeah. talks about that a lot because she's had a few men say they were freaked out. Mm. They had no idea no one warned them there would be blood in their first few ejaculates after. I was warned, but it was still... <laughs> So, oh, wow, that looks like a lot. So, yeah. And and this is a really important discussion because females, we're used to blood coming out of us. Mm. It's not alarming. Every month from the time we're 12 for the next 40 years, this happens. But for a bloke to suddenly have blood coming out of you must be quite... Uh, oh, except I knew that it, I was expecting it. Yeah. And it, it, but then it's confronting to think, well, okay, this too shall pass, and it yeah, did. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I guess you know, flush it out of the system, yeah. and away you go. But um, yeah. no real issues out of it. And and you're discussing it with you know, there's a particular guy at work who who needs to go and get done properly, and he's yeah. sitting on the fence about it. Yeah. And I was explaining to him what the surgery. Oh, that sounds stupid, mate. You're out. You don't feel the thing. You don't feel it. Yeah. 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 And so next, you you probably got the recommendation to go to a physio. And how how did that? Well, I did two things. Making, so the, yep. the, the the first thing I did, which was crucial for me mentally, was to go to Hollywood Hospital. They've got um, prostate cancer nurses Lisa there. Ferry. Lisa? Lisa, Lisa was Lisa. one of them, but it was Francesca, Francesca. who I yep. went to see. Awesome, awesome ladies. Yep. And I did that within two days of having that diagnosis. And it was so important for me to go and get that information quickly because I had Carla on the other side of the world mm. looking up every YouTube video that ever existed <laughs> on it and giving me all the research she was looking no, at. Right. She needed the answers just yeah. as much as I did. So I was able to tap her into a video call with Francesca as I'm doing that concert. Oh. So we booked for half an hour. We were there 90 minutes. Well, Francesca, big kudos to you if you're listening. That's a she, wonderful health professional. She changed, she changed my whole approach and attitude to, from this, from being, oh, shit, I've got cancer, to, oh, I can beat this. We yeah. felt pretty positive afterwards. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. And the, the nurses are just so critical. We... We've always had breast cancer nurses. It's only been the last eight years we've had prostate cancer nurses. Mm. We only had one. And then we've now got 10, I think, in WA. Yeah. So, yeah. And the beauty of that was that was a Friday afternoon. Mm. I went into that first weekend of being by myself and processing it with a much different um, frame of mind than if I hadn't got that information because I would have been pondering over all the 
the, the awfulness yeah. of it yeah. without all the even little things like, oh, well, actually, your prostate's smaller than average. You're young and fit. You'll be fine. You're mm-hmm. going to get through this sort of stuff. And and they weren't just telling me what I needed to hear. It was kind of, oh, no, you'll be good. Yeah. And how we looked up the ultrasounds and the other alternatives. And after that, or after speaking with Francesca. Yeah. Realized, oh, no, no, radiation therapy wasn't an option. Yeah. we. Th- I was thing. thinking originally that was least invasive. Yeah. And surgery would be so radical. Mm-hmm. And we realized... That is the only option for him right now. But he's so young. Yeah. And it, it is and called, the best option for it him, is, actually. Yeah. And it is called radical surgery yeah. anyway. So it is radical because we take out yeah. the prostate, the seminal vesicles. We damage the sphincters and you're impotent, impotent and incontinent. So it's a radical yeah. option. But if you have radiation, or, so I always say, if you have surgery, you have short-term symptoms initially that get better over mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. if you have radiation you have minimal short-term symptoms that get worse over time right. so the longer you're likely to live and the younger you are the the less likely you would encourage someone to have radiation yeah because i think that's going into it we, i think we thought you know are we making the right decision mm-hmm. and yeah, it, was, it wasn't and, even offered as an option from the surgeon presumably because that's what he does he yeah so you don't know so, what everybody's yeah. motivation is and we're trying to make the best yeah, decision for us yeah. it's very hard very i keep saying hard i keep <laughs> it's very difficult <laughs> um but one we do have something called the cyber knife as well now so about yeah. three years ago patients started rocking up to me and going well i'm gonna obviously i want surgery because i'm young but there's also the cyber knife and i said the what it's a surgical radiation technique for difficult to treat cancers. Mm-hmm. But the CyberKnife team in um, Western Australia, headed up by Peter Fadias and his team under David Joseph, they're very good at screening who's appropriate and who's not. Mm-hmm. And so we've actually had him on our podcast as well because mm-hmm. we wanted to educate ourselves as well as our patients. And they actually often say, you're better off having surgery. It's the tricky ones that might be a little bit higher or just a small spot, but it's moving fast. I've actually just had my own 85-year-old auntie treated for pancreatic cancer very successfully when she had no hope before that. So it's it's a wonderful treatment for small surgical radiation-specific spots. But when you've got prostates, there's often lots of spots all over the place that are changing all the time. So mm-hmm. you can, you'd have to keep on having more radiation, more radiation, more radiation, even if it's a, a cyber knife one. So I just wanted to uh, clarify that because you might think, oh, a mate said he's going to have the cyber knife, but is the cyber knife appropriate for you? It's very individually tailored mm. and has to be. Well, and his Gleason score was 3.4. 3 plus 4. Or, or 3 plus 4. Yeah. And we knew that there were some uh, YouTube videos out there that said there's, you know, people doing the wait and see option mm. during there. But after talking mm. again with Francesca, it was, we realized we need to do this and do it right now yeah. and be done with it. And, the and then they said, it's once yeah. he gets yeah. it taken out, it's, yeah. and he I, doesn't I have had, to worry about it. I had the luxury mm. of the preparation time, mm-hmm. one of your P's there. And mm-hmm. the, the yep. preparation has been, a, a, it's a good period of time for me. I've actually yep. done a lot of positive stuff in mm. that time. And let's talk about this because I said to you, you said to me, how what's the best thing for my sexual function? I said, lose five to 10 kilos. And you said, Dr. Pemberton told me that anyway. Well, he didn't actually. Oh, no, you you told oh, me, me that because okay. well, I'm not a I'm not a big looking guy, but I've got up to ninety two point five kilos. That's the heaviest I've ever been. Mm. Um, but I'm six foot, so yeah. I, I can sort of carry it. But um, you set me that little challenge, and <laughs> unbeknownst to you, you said five to ten. You, you know, five will do you. 
I thought, no, I'm going to do 10. And I, got to leave. <laughs> I <laughs> so, love the way guys think. Yeah, so, I, so I did, and I got there. And, but, I, you know, I had to change my diet and step my exercise up a little. And the exercise wasn't a hard thing to do. I've always been pretty active. It, going to a low-carbs diet was a difficult thing for someone who's like my rice and pasta, and that's the staple of everything I've done. But, you know, it was an important and, enough thing for me to do and something I could actually do and have and control of. And did that of. give you a sense of empowerment for absolutely, all of this? Absolutely. That's, I could track yeah. it. I could track that progress. Mm, men love the, to measure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I could feel the difference it was making in my body. Yeah. Even little things like I still play touch rugby. Yeah. So getting out there now, I'm killing it out there at the moment. Because You're I'm playing tonight, aren't you? I am, yeah. 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 And looking for This is the first time Carla will have ever seen me. So I'm probably going to watch too. <laughs> Well, then double beer, but yeah, it's, 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 I might just do this. <laughs> <laughs> but it's looking like, you know, I'll probably be the best player I can be in at this yeah. age. Um, what it, a bonus. Yeah. So how much, what's your weigh-in now? 82 and a half. You've lost 10? Yeah. In what, eight weeks? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Mm. Well, do you know what that means for your surgeon now? It means that he's got less fat crap to cut through and uh, the the ability to spare the nerve tissues there is that much better. For erectile function. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So there's a good motivation. Right. You know, if I say to guys, if you lose weight, your penile function will improve. It's a very easy motivator. Mm. And, you know, another thing is, if a man puts on a stone or seven kilos, he loses half an inch of penile length. And actually, the penis retracts because this big fat pad develops on what we call the pubic bone or the mons pubis, and it causes the penis to retract like a turtle head. And if I say to guys, for every seven kilos you lose, you'll gain half an inch of their penis, that doesn't actually take too much mode. I don't have to say that twice. <laughs> Can you relate to that? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so another interesting thing is when Melissa and I were talking about this podcast we did it in COVID because we we just didn't have patience. We, we, we were in the corridor making coffee with no one. Shut, we were shut down. I like to interact with people and screen stuff was challenging and most people had no idea what Zoom was, so we tried it all. But most of my patients are between 60 and 70 and no, there wasn't happening to download Zoom. So we ended up just chatting on the phone. I said, Melissa, let's do something with a couple of patients. Episode two was our motivating one. Um of the penis project pattern. she said let's call us the willy whisperers and i said i know that's funny melissa and you're the funny guy and i'm the straight guy but when i went to a conference in 2014 the japanese researchers showed us that the most looked up internet topic of all search engine topics is penis length and i've done a search and there's not one podcast that has the word penis in it mm. so let's get serious i was doing finished my phd and i said let's bring the word penis into a normal conversation and then we, we we went on a bit of a campaign. We asked lots of different guys what and girls what would be appropriate. Mm. Everyone always laughed at Willy Whisperers. It, it was funny. But I didn't want urologists to dismiss us being, oh, there's two women. What would they know? Mm. And it was very important that we had people being guided to good quality information if they did look up penis length. Because if you put up penis length, uh Actually, it comes up as our number one podcast as well because we've done over 100 podcasts. Melissa reviewed all the stats on our 100th anniversary and she said, have a guess, guys, what the number one most listened to podcast is. I'm like, not surely not that because we we are sensible. We, we actually have a, a specialist in Perth, a cosmetic surgeon who has had 
he had been approached by guys for this during COVID big time mm. because everyone watches pornography and he at first rejected it but then he realised that some there is something called small penis anxiety and people often are concerned. So he's very strict with who might fit that criteria but you can do a little bit of Botox therapy and things. But anyway, we interviewed him and that's our number one podcast topic. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty interesting, isn't it? It, there must be a lot of guys actually measuring themselves, I'm thinking, and trying to work out what's normal. So what what is normal is between 9 and 11 centimetres flaccid and 13 to 15 centimetres erect. I'll just leave that there. Um, now, you, you did say, speaking of penises, that already potentially your sexual function has improved. Yeah, and look, it could be a number of things, but I think... Um, I've been on Cialis medication, like a small dose of that daily. That mm-hmm. obviously hasn't hurt. Yeah. I think you've got me doing the six times a day, the pelvic floor exercises that yeah. clearly benefiting yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, there's probably some confidence around that as well. There's the, the weight loss, that yeah. kind of thing. And do you so, feel good in yourself? Like yeah. more masculine, more sexually well, yeah, I mean, and, desirable, even within yourself? Do you feel that way? Yeah. Like, yeah. Because we do say that. The ECU University up at uh, Barrier Institute, they've even shown radiation patients and chemotherapy patients, as soon as they get fitter, their sexual sexuality and masculinity improves. Yeah. Just a I, sense I think of being my, a my, own, my own body image, I've got a pretty good body image. Yeah, um, yeah and, pretty, uh, very good looking guy. <laughs> I know, but, I know but we can't even, see him. But. Even body-wise, I mean, I had a little bit of extra weight yeah. around the middle to what I was used to. I, I put weight on around my face a little bit, but, yeah. you know, it wasn't bothering me. No, that was a bit no one would have said you were awake. Like, no, but... And now I you're did, a lean machine. I, 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 I didn't think I had a reason to lose the so weight. I thought, yeah. oh, look, I'm 50. I, you know, I look at everyone else in my age, well, at least I'm not yeah. your size or, or whatever. Oh, a pork. Yeah, yeah. But um, growing up, I'd always been quite... Thin and like yeah. I was talking to my mum about it, she said, oh, I remember you used to celebrate if you could put on half a kilo. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I was skinny through my teens and right up to you know, mid twenties, really. Mm. Um, and then I've been sitting on the eighty-five kilos for geez twenty-five years, pretty much since I've been. In Why did you go up seven kilos? Because you lost half an inch, you know. There. <laughs> well, probably COVID. Um, I, okay, just in a short time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I'd had some good living with Carla when she came here. Uh-huh. We're out eating a lot and that sort yeah. of stuff. There's probably yeah. a little bit of that. But COVID, I'd probably reduce my exercise yeah. a bit because yeah. you have to. You, I, put on five, I put on five kilos. Yeah, well, you couldn't go to gyms and that yeah. sort of stuff. Um, I I used to have dogs to walk. I don't have those dogs yeah. to walk anymore. So my motivation for going for a daily walk wasn't there. The time wasn't there. Because we were told not to go anywhere, weren't exactly. we? We were yeah. told stay away, walk five kilometres, one hour a day. You, and, Sorry, within five kilometres from your house, you've got one hour a day yeah. and... Couldn't even, and I was busy. I actually I, I did a lot of COVID work for, yeah. for my work today. I was working long days, so yeah. the last thing I wanted to do when I got home was go for a walk. Whereas now I've, I've got more time to do that. So mm. yeah. wonderful. Now we're going to move on. You just had the appointment with Kendall. How did that go, Carla? I'd love to hear what you thought of the the preparation. Uh, it's not standard to who to a preparation erectile function, sexual function. Um, uh, appointment but I felt that you guys would benefit being a new relationship and also the time that you had because we we normally only have four weeks we've had two months prep time so I did encourage you to have that meeting pre-operatively and you've just had it now mm-hmm. so how did that go Carla? I thought it went 
I mean, I thought we learned a lot. I, I mean, a few things came up that we haven't talked about, but, yeah. um, you know, we did a lot of research before, so I think we knew a lot of the stuff, but just, I guess, re-asking some of the questions and confirming, and I want to know, you know, especially after after the surgery, um, you know, what to what to do for him or to remind yeah. him of, I guess, what, yeah. what things he needs to do medications or mm -hmm. options you know because we don't we don't really know mm -hmm. what exactly is going to happen you know and, and how long it will take mm -hmm. um but i want to be well well yeah. of course but yeah. i mean i want to be there to remind him if mm -hmm. he's feeling down about anything so, afterwards shortly you know to remind him we got a lot of hope mm -hmm. you know yeah it was helpful for me to have carla there to ask the questions she wanted to ask as well absolutely because it because if i didn't know yeah <laughs> I, I might remember it all i will remember it all yeah. you love him because he's so good looking he is so good and he's so lean <laughs> and, oh and he did you know he said that about his confidence and before i even got here he was saying oh you're gonna really like how i look and so yeah, oh, yeah he got real confidence yeah. losing that little extra way that's great and you know what i think we do medicine really well sometimes and not so well other times but i think what we couldn't have prepared better you're six days down this is um a big part of the psychology mm. and yes we don't know exactly how you're going to pull up because every man is different we expect you to be incontinent i expect you to be incontinent for up to three months but i expect three out of four men if they get five or six weeks prep time to be continent and out of pads that's no pads mm. doing whatever you want to do again I expect that 93% of men initially will get a little bit of leakage with sexual activity or arousal called arousal leakage. That gets better over time. We know that only 5% of men have that one year after surgery. If they do pelvic floor exercises, it always gets better though. Mm. We, um, we know that a man won't have ejaculate fluid anymore. And we know that the potency or the sexual function can take up to two years to recover. But by preparing you with pelvic floor exercises, walking, and all this sexual function education, getting the Cialis, you've already prepared yourself as best as we possibly could have. Mm. So we're setting you up for a really good outcome. But I always say expect to be impotent, expect to be incontinent. We will help mop it up. Mm. We'll work together as a team, your surgeon, your nurses, you, Carla, your family, now your network of support at work, because you've actually shared the burden. Mm. And Dr. Pemberton will always say, because I know patients say to me, he's so humble. Um, I'm actually saying his name a lot today because we don't normally say people's names, but it is uh, November and we need to know who the medical champions are as well. So he would say, if a patient says, you saved my life, Dr. Pemberton, he would say, no, I didn't. It was a team effort. Mm. And actually... He doesn't want to be King Richard either because it is a team effort, but mm. you have to listen to what we say and you have to have, you have to invest trust in us. We have to invest trust in you that you will do. I actually had a man the other day tell me he pulled out his own catheter and you just think, why would you do that? Because he goes, oh, I couldn't stand it another day. It was a Monday public holiday, the Queen's birthday. So I just looked up the internet. I'm an engineer. I pulled it out myself. I'm like, Dude. Dude. <laughs> Another guy last week he said on Monday he goes, I want to play golf. I said, but you've actually had complications. You've been in ICU. 
you can't play golf yet. Well, can I play? When can I play? I said, you can play nine holes in two weeks. He said, I'll be playing 18. And I had another physio in the room with me who was mentoring for me. And he he just looked at me like, okay. So I said, okay, we'll 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 make we'll cross that bridge, but you've got to see me before you go and swing a golf club because you could get a hernia. So sometimes we get obstinate patients and we know, oh, he was already another one because he only let him, he only wanted to stay in hospital for one night instead of the standard two. We make patients, encourage patients to stay too because sometimes the bowel starts to play up a little bit and you get wind pain. That's not very comfortable and people panic. Guess what? He ends up back in hospital in the middle of the night at 2 a.m. because he refused to stay in the recommended two nights. And, oh, you know, and it was just like, oh, my God, we've got an obstinate patient not listening to what we recommend because we're medical people who've been doing it for 30 years. And so that's what... Dr. Tendrick's yeah. out is the and team. That's, so, and the team thing, I think, is a really important aspect of that because when my first consult with him, clearly he's a busy man. Yeah. He could tell me only so much in that first thing and give me, yeah. this is where you need to go. Mm. I, I could see there's other blokes waiting in the sort of waiting room, probably yeah. going to get the same crappy news I just had. Yeah. But I jumped on what he told me to go and do. I went and saw those nurses. I came and saw you pretty quickly. Mm, you did. Because that was a recommendation. Yeah. I did that. I've gone to see Kendall today. Yeah done all that so every step of the way i've been told to go and do something i've just gone and done it yeah and every time there's been a benefit to going to each part of that extended team so mm. you're right it is a team effort there yeah. and i think as my message to anyone who's in that position is take the advice of that team be a part of that team mm. join that team you don't have to go out and tell the world about it but um when you do start talking about it you become a bigger team with everybody so you find all these people you didn't know they start sharing the stories Hopefully for me, from November, this is a month where stories like mine are going to get told where blokes are going to be more comfortable with telling those stories and it makes the process that much easier for you to actually take it on as part of the team rather than take it all on your own shoulders. Carl is my primary team here. And she saved your life. Absolutely. So, you know, and it's it's no no small thing. So, um, you know. Serendipity, all that sort of stuff. That's you make favourite words. Well, you, make, you make your own luck with that serendipity too, though. You know, I you mean, do. Yeah. If if you don't go chasing it, it won't come to you. And I was about to pull out a piece of paper, which I can't find because I've just shifted my office. It, I hand out a one piece of paper. I say, "This is your first appointment with me. It's your pre-op plan. Your second appointment with me, we did the other day, yesterday, is what you need to do for the first two weeks. Third time you see me post-op." I say, this is what the map for the next six weeks until you go back to Dr. Pemberton and get your blood test. And I say, it takes me, it's taken me 30 years to put this information on one page because I know you're going to get deluged with this and that. Every person you speak to, every YouTube you watch, he's got more information. It's overload. So I go, how can I simplify this onto one page? If you follow this page, you don't realize that's 30 years of my knowledge coming in to, to simplify it for you. Like the prostate recovery map book, it's, it's a book that gives you direction forward. But if you do this step, then that step, there we go. And then I say, and if you're listening globally, anywhere, whether it be America or Canada or New Zealand, the people that you work with are the people who are doing it. Some of the information you get access to is 20 years old and it's scary. Take the information from the people that you're working with because they are updating currently. Mm -hmm. The research is five to ten years behind. I know because I produce research. My research that was published in 2010, 20 was starting to be gathered in 2013. So don't think that what you read is actually accurate. Right. Would and you that's have any like being part of the process? Because 
you know, I did a lot of research online and it, I know now that mm. you know, maybe it wasn't all this current. I can give you an example personally. I'm supposed to have a, I have a very severe scoliosis in my spine. I want to be a ballet dancer. Mm. Professionally, I was at what you call WAPA doing a scholarship program when I was 13, 14, 15, auditioned for when I'm 16 to do the full-time program. Sorry, Joe, your spine is never going to make it. I was wearing a back brace, have surgery, fix it, but you'll never dance again. So I thought, I'll wear the back brace, but I want to keep dancing. So I can't do it for my job. I'll be a physio or something. 35 years later, yesterday, I'm standing over a 16-year-old girl having that procedure because I've got to have it now. And I look at the room, there's 15 people that come and go in that five-hour procedure. The, the young girl is on a monitor with spinal, her spinal cord, like all these leads and electrical stimulators to make sure her spinal cord is intact the whole way through. There's two surgeons, two young surgeons under the guidance of one professor, just doing every step along the way. The whole time, the anesthetists, they don't stop. And there's there's 35 years more knowledge. If I had it 35 years ago, oh, I don't know what would have happened. Okay. I've lived a normal life. Two years ago, I start going through menopause. I start to get pain for the first time. And I go, oh, my God, I'm so glad I waited. Mm. Because even in my time working in men's health for the last 17 years, it's gone from chopping men's testicles off to stop testosterone production to robotic uh, assisted laparoscopic prostatectomy where men can come through with good preparation, expert care, fully continent and fully potent. And if we can't get them potent, we can't get them continent, we have surgeons who fix that. We even have Dr. Dangerfield in episode 46 who has a technique where he takes the sural nerve out of the calf of men after two years, if they haven't got their function back, he feeds it into the femoral nerve, he feeds it into the penis, it's called side-by-side -side nerve grafting, and nine to 12 months later, 70% of men have got their sexual function back again. So you get blown away by what how medicine progresses. So don't think that what you read is actually what's true now. Yeah. And I think sitting in ignorance and... Um... And denial is the worst thing you can do because Absolutely. you're carrying that burden on your own. There's there's people out there experiencing it every day, mm. and you know, as like you say, the, the science on it just gets better and better. So I mean, I could, you can be. You're right, and I yeah. cried yesterday because I said I'm I'm up for this surgery now. I was super scared because I know mm. what a big surgery is, but I said, surgeon, is there anything I can't do? And he goes, Yeah, you won't be able to play touch rugby or rugby. Are you going <laughs> to play touch rugby tonight? Yeah. Oh, that's the only thing I couldn't do. <laughs> but he said, you're in a sweet spot, Joe. You've got one to two years to fix this. And after that, you start to decline a bit more. You're pretty fit and you're pretty mobile. Lose five kilos and you'll be right. I've got to wait about a year for that because it's a public system of the thing. But preparation is now my job. And then he's part of my team. Yeah. So today's been about preparation, partners. And thank you so much. I think... We've got a wonderful thing happening here because Anthony and Carla have even offered to make a mini documentary. Carla's going to grab her phone and take a little short videos here and there of Anthony <laughs> all along the way and we'll be updating you with Anthony's progress. We'll be doing that over the next 12 months because lots of things are going to happen and I'm hoping that it's all good. If we get a few bumps on the road, 
So we will. That's we'll, life. We'll try and do the good, bad, and ugly of it. Right. We're going for the good, though. We're hoping <laughs> the good. Yeah. And I think sometimes you can't really appreciate the good unless you've had a bit of the bad, yeah. which is a funny way, but that's what you learn as life goes by. And um, I actually picked up a new car the other day. First time I've ever had a new car in my life. It was my 50th birthday to myself. When I went, they said, oh, sorry, there's some bird shit on there. I said, keep the bird shit. There's always a bit of bird shit around. Let me take a photo with the bird shit. They laughed at me and they said, you're not our regular customer. I said, look, we can wipe the bird shit off. That's nothing. And we all had a bit of a laugh. But um, the last comment I want to say, when I met Carla just yesterday, I just felt like I knew her because she had been looking forward to meeting her. And then today when I got her to come in here, she said, I offered her something and she said, I've just had a walnut. <laughs> and it was so funny because what did I say? You said that it's uh, something, a symbol you see on uh, everything to do with prostate. Yeah, so the <laughs> average prostate for a 35 to 40-year-old guy is about the size of a walnut. So every doctor, <laughs> every lecture always has a walnut. And you've just had some walnuts. <laughs> yeah, we cracked those suckers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so nuts to guts, everyone. And thank you so much to both of you. Tell you about a boy who lives inside me. It's been there all of my life. Hi, I'm Melissa, and I hope you enjoyed the podcast this week. Just a reminder if you've been diagnosed with prostate cancer, I've built a penile rehabilitation program just for you. It's an online program packed with information, exercises and advice along with proven strategies that will get your penis back in working order as quickly as possible in about 15 minutes a day. If you like the sound of that, then please head over to penilerehabilitationprogram.com and you can start straight away or there's a link from the RS Health website. We would also love you to review and subscribe and share this podcast so we can help more men. Links to Instagram and Facebook are in the show notes. We look forward to seeing you there. So spread the word that help is available. All the best for now. Bye. I've got a boy of my own now It fills me with pride To see him growing so fast into a man His victories become mine